electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the big rebound for stocks. And questions now about what happens next. We'll bring that to our investment committee today, which is making some new moves in this market. And they are quite interesting. Joining me for the hour, Kerry Firestone, Josh Brown, Joe Chernov, Jim Laventhal. Let's check the markets. Dow's good for 400, almost on the nose. NASDAQ's up quite nicely today. There it is, up uh, better than 2%. Russell is having a big day. Bond yields are rebounding just a bit. There's the 10-year on your screen, 365. We've been watching the two-year. We're going to get to all of that in just a moment. Obviously, implications for the Fed. What Gundlach told me yesterday about that. What others are saying about that. But some others are making some moves, which are pretty interesting in this market. Jim Labenthal, you bought the KRE, the regional bank ETF. You bought First Republic, too, as the regional banks rebound in a very, very big way today. Take me through those, please. Yeah, I will. Um, Scott, I'm not trying to be a hero here at all, okay? What I do, and you know this, is I analyze companies. I look at their financial statements. Now, let me back up on Friday, which sounds like ancient history. I had clients calling, moving large amounts of money out of First Republic Bank uh, into the investment accounts at various custodians that we use. And that triggered me to look at what's going on at First Republic, okay? And I'm going to tell you right now that First Republic, as a representative of the regional banks, but also the regional bank that has the crosshairs on it right now is a good bank. It's doing good banking. It takes in deposits. Half of the loans on its, uh, excuse me, half of the assets on its balance sheet are mortgages. Half of the assets are mortgages to people with an average FICO score of 780 and a loan to value on these mortgages of 60%. Now, that's at a gross level. That's good banking, and that's what you want banks to do. So when everything went down with Silicon Valley Bank, and I saw what the Fed did, I said the Fed is doing the right thing. A company like First Republic, a bank like First Republic, should not be going down the way it did last week and yesterday morning. It is a good bank doing the right thing, lubricating the economy by lending. So I looked at the balance sheet. I also looked at the funding, Scott. Okay, so between cash on hand, $6 billion, treasuries, which at $30 billion of of market value can be used as collateral in the new Fed uh, lending facility, and $70 billion of, of financing, including from J.P. Morgan, that is a lot of their $168 billion deposit base. This is not a bank in trouble. This is a bank that is now meaningfully undervalued and I think representative of the regional bank, bank index in general. Last thing on this, I've never actually owned a regional bank. This is my first foray. Okay, so interesting. Taking um, you know, a bit of investment advantage of the dislocation, I think is fair to say. Carrie, you bought more First Republic as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know it's only Tuesday, but it feels as if it's been a very, very long week so far. Uh, we did a lot of work over the weekend on First Republic. It's uh, it's a stock we know. It's a company uh, we know. It, it's it's the bank for uh, Aureus Asset Management. And I know many people who work there. So, you know, we started digging through all of the filings and all of the uh, 
past transcripts and earnings, and it just felt to us that there was not that much of a comparison on the on the similarities between Silicon Valley or even Signature and First Republic. As Jim said, it's it's a mortgage bank. Four percent of its deposits are related to technology and startups, not 50 percent. It has the highest satisfaction level of any one of the, I think it's one of uh, the, the best of all banks, if not one of the best of all companies in the country. And if you shrunk the entire bank so that there were no deposits over $250,000, you would still end up with a company that was worth a whole lot more than what the, the stock was selling it yesterday morning. So we, uh, we put in an order and uh, luckily it came off. We, we bought it and we're happy about that today. I mean, we had a position that went down significantly, of course, and we're very sorry about that. But this bank was worth a whole lot more than what it was trading for, you know, between 19 and 30 yesterday. All right. So we'll keep our eyes there. St stock is uh, up 56 and a half percent. It's um, a big rebound, to say the least. Master the obvious, I, I guess, in some respects. Carrie, you bought more Schwab. Josh Brown, you told us you bought Schwab yesterday. Josh, I, I bring it to you. Um, you feel like the worst is over here? Um, for Schwab in particular, yes. And unlike Jim, I am trying to be a hero. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> this was stupid. Listen, I, I'm 25 years in this game. Like, there's a reason why some people are, are still doing it. It's not this this type of trade does not come along all the time. If you're like very lucky, something like this happens once or twice, maybe in a given year where it's clearly the highest quality name of the bunch. It's coming down in sympathy with other names. It's got its own very different situation. But the bulk of people trading it are either like trying to play an intraday swing or don't really understand what's going on or it's being sold as you know, part of like some kind of a basket. That was the situation with Schwab. There's nothing specific to Schwab where this stock should have been down 40% from a tie. Now, is there going to be a problem for some of these banks, neo banks, regional banks, brokers turned banks? Is it going to be as easy to make money if, for example, uh, the rules about contributing to FDIC change or whatever? That's like a discussion for another day. I don't think any of that would permanently impair uh, the constituents of, for example, the regional bank ETF. And I definitely don't think that that would be some sort of a, a game changer where you wouldn't want to be invested in a blue chip business like Schwab that has been around for 50 years and has survived much worse uh, than the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. So this was so obvious to me. And, mm -hmm. you know, of course, because it worked out so quickly, which I wasn't sure it would. Now, the only problem is I didn't really buy enough. But what? I, <laughs> um, yeah. But whatever. Like I, th These things I, don't happen very often. And you're still uh, a you hero. have to act when you see them. I got you. Kerry says you're still I, I a hero. I will always be a hero. I know that. I, I just want to mention again, I, I don't want to, you know, act like I just glossed over it. But Kerry bought more Schwab as well. I got some housekeeping, though, with, with you, Jimmy. Did you buy First Republic yesterday? I did. You bought it yesterday, not today. Yeah. So you bought it before the, the big rebound. I, I did. Um, however, I still I, I heard you. You said I caught you, right? I know you. He said it's up 60%, whatever it is today. It's also down meaningfully. I mean, this was an $80 stock two days. No, no, no. I just want to know. I want our viewers to know when, when you did it. Yeah. That's okay, all. got it, got it. Um, all right, Joe. Pretty good. So, so you bought MasterCard. I did. Is that related here or 
indirectly let's, or what's let's, the story let's, here? Let's walk, to, let's walk through the thinking here a little bit. So on Friday, you're going to have a reclassification of the S&P sectors. You're going to have 14 stocks that will be reclassified. Actually, eight of those stocks are going to come out of the technology sector. Two of those stocks, Visa, MasterCard, they're both included in Joe T. Visa, I own personally. What will happen with Visa and MasterCard is that they will quickly jump within the financial sector to the third and fourth largest holding within the sector, each having a weighting of somewhere around 7%. I already own Visa. I want to own MasterCard. Why do I want to own those? Because given what has happened in the last several days, the stress of the last several days, you would think to yourself that mutual fund managers and money managers overall will look at the financial sector and say, hey, I want exposure, but I want to diversify a little bit away from the banks. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what these two companies with 300 billion plus in market cap are going to be able to do for you. They're going to give you diversification to move away from right now the top 10 in the financial sector for the S&P, which is littered with big banks. You know, Josh, I think some are trying to take a look at where is the next pressure point, if you want to put it that, not to suggest you're going to have an issue like you had with SVB and not to suggest you're going to have another issue with any of the, the banks themselves, but just in terms of aftershocks, if you will, from the earthquake that we had, the issue with the fact, you know, credit concerns, some suggest keep your eye on REITs, commercial real estate. I only bring that up because I just want you to reflect and remind our viewers on the fact that you sold Simon property the other day, along with another thing in that space, I think, which I just can't remember off the top of my head. A lot's happened since then. But just take us through your thinking there. Commercial real estate is the next shoe to drop, specifically office building real estate. There is so much trouble coming to this sector, both in the forms of headlines, um, in, in the forms of large private investors walking away from buildings, in the form of leases being re-signed at much lower prices per square foot in cities like New York, uh, Chicago, even Miami, especially San Francisco, Los Angeles. This has not even begun yet. We're so accustomed in the stock market to a major shock happening and there being like this immediate um, resolution and then V-shaped recovery, which you do get from time to time. These stocks are still making new lows. Let's look at Vornado, VNO. Um, let's look at, for example, SL Green, SLG. These are awesome companies. These are going to be terrible investments, and it's not their fault. There's nothing they can do about it. You are not going to return to 100% of corporate employees sitting in office buildings Monday through Friday. No matter how bad you want it, it's not going to happen. And, and the problem, the problem is the recovery for this particular segment of real estate is going to be forever, if it ever happens at all. We have too many office buildings in every major city. The leases that people were signing three, four, and five years ago were outrageous relative to what the new leases will end up being. And it's just going to be a very challenged space. Um, you've got a lot of participation from banks, regional banks, all the lend lending, 
uh, CMBS, commercial mortgage-backed securities, another $100 billion um, mm -hmm. marketplace mm -hmm. worth of assets. That's going to be challenged. Private equity. There's just, we, we have not yet seen, we've seen the stock prices come down for the office building REITs, but we have not yet seen what it looks like to have a secularly impaired segment of the market. And so I, it's just something that I, I just don't want to be involved in right now. Yeah. I mean, we, we might have too much commercial, you know, real estate in these, in these big cities, just given the environment we're in, but we don't have enough residential real estate in many of these areas. Well, that'll I did take see 10 a, years. Uh, that'll, no, I understand, that, but, I, I, yeah, understand, yeah, yeah, but right. I, I did see a story about New York, New York City, for example, taking a commercial building and turning it into residential. I, I understand right. that the runway to get that done, it takes a while, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's not like these Zoning things are going to remain. Yeah. It's, I understand what you're saying. I do. The, the question now, yeah. though, is what all of this means for how we think about the market itself, how we think about what the Fed may do um, next week, whether it's, you know, greatly impacted, its path is impacted by all this. Here's Gunlock with me yesterday on Closing Bell about what he thinks the Fed should do next week. Well, I think the Fed at this point will probably raise just 25 basis points. Yeah, I would say at this point, the, the, the chance... Things are happening so quickly that even though it's a week away, a little over a week away, anything can sort of happen. But things are happening so quickly. I, I just think that at this point, the Fed is not going to go 50. Uh, I would think 25, and I know that people are wondering if they're going to go up at all. I, I just think to save kind of the, the program and their credibility, they'll probably raise rates 25 basis points. And he said, Joe, and that'll be it. But he still thinks they're going to go amid a lot of conversation that they're done as a result of this. Well, if you look at this morning's inflation report, you could study a lot of the services components, whether it's shelter, airfare, or a lot of the personal services, and you could make the argument why they should go 25. I keep going back to the template of the 1994 Orange County bankruptcy. In that case, once the bankruptcy presented itself in December, the Fed went one more time, February, of 95, 50 basis points, they were done. By July, they were cutting rates. Um, so 25 basis points, you'll probably get it. But I think what you can do is you no longer can talk about the pace of rate hikes. And Scott, we were there one week ago. We were talking about accelerating the pace of <laughs> yeah, rate we hikes. Take that a off week the table. Ago, a week ago today. Take that higher, off the table. Higher, faster, for longer. Take that off the table. And you know, it's interesting. I'm listening to Josh. He's talking about commercial real estate. The missing word from uh, his, his great commentary was defaults. And that's what we haven't seen. We have not se yet seen defaults. And you will see those defaults. Then I'm hearing Jimmy talk about First Republic Bank and talk talking about lending. And I just think overall what's happened in the last several days, you're going to see the lending standards are going to tighten significantly over the coming months. Right. And again, those are two deflationary shocks for the economy. Sure, it's, it's conceivable. I mean, you could build a case, Jim, to where the Fed could go 25, save its credibility, as Gunlock was talking about, but then use this crisis of the last few days as cover to say, you know what, we're not, then we're done. We're going 25. 25 is not going to make a difference in the big picture. So why do it? Right. Well, but then we're, but then we're done. Well, because Gunlock says for their credibility okay, sake. Okay, that, okay. okay. So, and then we're done because we just don't want to risk it too far. All right. Uh, that was well laid out. I will, with humility, say to you, I think their credibility matters a hell of a lot less than the sanctity of the banking system and the overall strength of the economy, which you've heard me say again and again is strong and just, you know, look at the labor market, look at where GDP is. A 25 basis point hike is not going to do anything. 
nor should they do it, okay? And I'm looking, you can't see it right now, but I'm looking at the BLS report on CPI today. There was a wall of gigantic month-over-month numbers that ended in June. And by gigantic, I mean June of last year, 1.2% month-over-month. Now, if you look since then, all right, they're all lower. The, the highest we've had is 0.5%. I know I'm looking at headlines, but I get this it. And, and, and to Joe's this point, to, to Joe's point, this this whole, you know, these okay. events of he the last a great point. Full few days are disinflationary. I think they're, they're contractionary, yep. um, so, if you want to put that. But it does put the onus squarely on, on, on the Fed to stay with their program, but know now that the risks are elevated of truly going too far. So if they go 25 and then they signal, then we're going to look around for a bit. Are you okay with that? No. I, and it was very rational what you <laughs> laid out. But I'm, I'm going to tell you that, in my opinion, that's reckless. Okay, the numbers before the disinflationary shocks that Joe is talking about were coming down. 475 basis points of rate hikes are having an effect. Uh, They're going to have more of an effect with everything that Joe's talking about. And uh, to do more now, to help with their credibility. Harry, hang on real quick. Let me just get to Kerry real quick. Kerry, Josh, I'll get to you in a second. I want to get Kerry in the game, though, because Krinsky, Jonathan Krinsky of BTIG, Kerry says the irony with the markets rallying on regional bank stabilization and no big surprise on CPI is that it likely brings the Fed back into play next week or at least removes the cut talk in our view. Does that mesh with with how you're thinking about this or you tell us? Yeah, so it's really it's fascinating. It feels to me as if this is a um, a struggle that the Fed is going to have about which is more important to them, whether it's inflation and really cutting it back now, or if it's about bank failures and trying to uh, prevent uh, another crisis. Uh, because there, there could be, right? There, there just could be. And we know we have inflation. So I, I think Jonathan has, has a point in that they are struggling with this and they may well come out on the side and not about saving face and not about preserving your dignity, but that inflation is what they started to, to, to fight against. It's still there. We know it's coming down, but I, I, I feel that the probability of 25 is a little higher today than it was yesterday versus yeah. zero. The other you know thing that's been tossed around too is they could, they could stay with their plan of a, a rate cut, but they could also use their balance, excuse me, their balance sheet, um, maybe stop with the, the QT and look around while still maintaining their credibility on, on rate hikes. Um, Josh, give me a thought on that, and then I want to bring in our headliner, Edgar Denny. It's already too late. And as I, as I said at the beginning of the year, any additional rate hikes from this point forward, all that is is the first rate cut they're going to have to throw right back at us. They, they opted to do way too much too quickly in order to make up for the fact that they started too late. And so they made a mistake on both sides of the ball. And what we witnessed this week is unfortunately catastrophic. It is a shock, not just a disinflationary shock. It is a shock to sentiment that will not soon be forgotten. The Fed is single-handedly responsible for turning portfolios of treasury bonds literally upside down at some of the top 25 banks in America with absolutely no regard, no speed limit, no seatbelts, and it's just inadvisable. 
So to go even further in this direction because of their legacy or their credibility, it's ridiculous. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not doing things for my credibility. I'm doing the job. Do your job. Your credibility will stem from the fact that you didn't cause back-to-back-to-back crises. That's where you get credibility from. Not in the moment from yes or no 25 basis points. It's enough already. CPI data is cooling. We know it. Apartment data is cooling. Everything is decelerating. Nothing you do today is going to make up for what you didn't do in 2021. That's not how this works, and you know better than I do that's not how this works. All right. So on that note, which was a good one, Ed Yardeni is with us, our halftime headliner today of Yardeni Research. Ed, it's good to see you. Uh, is enough enough already, as Josh just eloquently laid out? I think um, it makes sense that uh, the Fed uh, clearly was behind the curve on inflation uh, in uh, what, uh, over a year ago and uh, has uh, scrambled to uh, catch up. And so we've had a very dramatic tightening. Uh, look, uh, they should really stick to their script. Uh, if you look at uh, the summary of economic projections in the December FOMC uh, meeting, uh, what you see is that talking about getting the federal funds rate up to a restrictive level and then keeping it there. Well, with the crisis that we just uh, went through, they can argue that apparently we're at that restrictive level and let's just keep it there. So there's really no need to go by another 25 basis points. They can basically mm -hmm. say that recent events confirm that uh, we've done enough here to slow things down. And the inflation news is getting better. Uh, it's turning out that uh, inflation really was transitory on the good side, and it's persistent on services, but it won't persist for long. You talk about their script. I mean, I think you could say at times their, their script is read like a comedy or, or a tragedy yeah. in, in some respects. And it, right. it has moved between the two at points. It, it depends which, which script they want to go with, though, doesn't it? Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, they, they do too much talking and there's too much uh, changes in, in direction uh, in terms of their thinking. Uh, but look, I think that, uh, it, again, in that uh, economic projections that they've collectively put together, they were aiming to get inflation down to 2%, not this year, not next year, but in 2025. I think they're on the right course. They could just leave it there. And, um, you know, there's really not that much precedent for the Fed funds rate to go up and then go sideways for a long period mm -hmm. of time. Uh, it may very well be that uh, we'll have uh, rate decreases here bef uh, in, in the not too distant future. Uh, but I think they can, uh, again, maintain their credibility by saying that things have uh, pretty much worked out the way we thought. That we, we're getting uh, evidence of uh, restriction on the economy. Inflation is mm -hmm. moderating. No need to do more. You know, the conversation over the last, oh gosh, it feels like at least a year since they've embarked on, on this new regime, is that the Fed put was dead, right? Can't rely on the Fed anymore. Fed went from your friend to your foe, and they've thrown that in your face for the better part of the past 12 months. Has that right. changed with the actions that were taken over the weekend? Absolutely. I, I think the Fed put is back. It's not the back directly for the financial markets. It's really aimed at the banking system. Uh, I mean... I read the press release, the press release that came out on Sunday, by the way, the Oscars were on Sunday, and I think that if there was a category for best director of a bailout, it would go shared by Powell and, and Yalen. Uh, I, I think that um, they basically guaranteed 100% of deposits to 100% of depositors. Uh, they created another, uh, they're, they're very good at creating these emergency lending facilities, 
and they came up with one that basically is aimed at uh, guaranteeing um, the wholeness of uh, depositors. So, indirect last question. Last question before I let you go, and I like the best director uh, analogy thing. Um, so, what does all this mean for the market then? Between now and you know, let, give us the next six months. What's the playbook? Well, well the, the the one thing I felt uh, quite strongly about is that October twelfth was the low uh, in in the market that the bear market ended back then. Uh, that doesn't mean we have a V-shaped bull market, but it does mean that. Uh, anytime you get these uh, panics, uh, you, you, buy, you don't buy in the dips, you buy in the panics. And, uh, you know, the market's still prone to having these panic attacks, concerns that everything is going to fall apart. And uh, it's not. The economy is strong. Inflation is coming down. And for all the criticism of the Fed, I think, that, you know, they've managed to get us to, the, to this point. And this point's not so bad. If, if they go 25 next week, what does the market do? I think it will all depend on how uh, Fed Chair Powell frames it at his press conference. And I have to believe after recent events, they'll say that, uh, you know, we, we, we now believe they were where we should be in terms of rest restrictive stance. All right, maybe one and done. One more and done. I shouldn't say one and done. It'll be nine mm -hmm. and done. Uh, Ed, mm -hmm. thank you. We'll see you soon. That's Ed Yardeni, president of Yardeni Research. Let's get to Dom Chu. He has a market flash for us on AMC. Don, what do we know? We're seeing some uh, volatility right now. The shares are halted. They're making some moves. Uh, the reason why we're getting some headlines out of Bloomberg with regard to the special investor meeting that AMC Entertainment is holding today. We are getting some headlines with regard to the shareholders reportedly in the headlines voting to authorize a, an increase in the number of shares outstanding for the company. Uh, that is what has triggered some of the volatility. Other things on the agenda, Scott, that the shareholders at AMC will vote on include uh, a conversion, a vote on whether or not they will convert those preferred equity units. You, you may recognize, recognize them as the ticker APE, the APE units, into common stock. And whether or not that happens, there's another proposal on a vote to whether they should do a 10 for one reverse stock split that will happen if the eight measure passes. We don't have any more news on that front, but it's the initial headlines with regard to a positive vote by shareholders to increase the shares outstanding. Headlines coming from Bloomberg that we are getting that triggered that. So Scott, we'll keep an eye on it, bring you more as we know more, but that's the reason why the shares are volatile in trading right now. Scott, back over to you. All right, you keep us up to date uh, as well as we continue to watch that developing story. You got a comment here? I mean, Aaron, CEO, has used the markets to his yeah. advantage and his company's advantage over the last couple of years. Uh, correct me if I'm the preferred should jump, obviously, on this. Well, correct? it was up 8%. Right. But didn't Jim Chanos put that on? Didn't Jim he have? Did. He, he, he had did. the preferred. That, that's the trade. You know, there was that arbitrage between the common and preferred, and it's it's the profits being realized right now. Yeah. All right. So we'll keep our eyes uh, on that story. Uh, Dom Chu, thank you for that. Meta shares are higher after announcing a second round of major job cuts since November. We'll find out what the committee thinks of Mark Zuckerberg's year of efficiency, plus where they stand on big tech overall. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. 14 Democratic governors are asking seven of the country's biggest pharmacy retailers to detail their plans on dispensing mifeprestone, which is used for medical abortions. They are urging the chains to make their decisions based on science and medical evidence and not politics or litigation threats. At the same time, 20 Democratic senators are pressing Walgreens to clarify its position after apparently saying that it will not sell the pill in several states where abortion is legal for now due to litigation threats from Republican attorneys general. President Biden is celebrating today's government report that inflation cooled to a 6% annual rate in February, noting it is the smallest increase since September 2021. And they are getting ready in Dayton, Ohio, for the start of March Madness. The first two games in the men's NCAA tournament will be played tonight. The top four seeds are Alabama, Houston, Kansas, and Purdue. And until then, your brackets will remain perfect. Scott? Yeah, for that one time. Right? Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. All right, we're following a developing story on Meta. By now, you know CEO Mark Zuckerberg announcing another round of layoffs, 10,000 more. They're going to close 5,000 open rolls as well. You can see the reaction in the market today. Kerry, we go to you first uh, because you do own Meta. Thoughts? Well, I, I think this was inevitable. That's been telegraphed by the company and it shows that they're committed to margin improvement and streamlining their business. Uh, they obviously have hired an awful lot of people. I mean, I, I don't know what if you the addition is 30,000 people that so far have uh, been part of this reduction in staff. But it's a lot of people. I mean, that's as many people as fit into most ballparks. Um, and I I can see that if you look at earnings and uh, earnings before interest and tax, you go back a few years, it was 47 billion. It's expected to be half of that this year. So there's there's room. I mean, there's definitely room to grow in the margin side. Stock sells mm -hmm. for 15 and a half times next year's earnings. So I, I think it's uh, it's it's great for the shareholders. Uh, they'll be buying back stock. You know, you just wonder what all these people were doing. But hopefully the people who are, who are still there are making sure that uh, Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp are, are working smoothly. And they, they seem to be based on, um, you know, what what I what I've read. Oh. Yeah. Brad Gerstner, by the way, tweeted this. You could sort of I think you could, this is linear. I think I mean, I think you can trace a straight line from Gerstner's original letter to Zuckerberg till today. All right. Urging them to get more fit. So today he says flatter is faster, leaner is better, and person is superior. Meta, yes, yes, yes. No founder deserves more credit for leading the turnaround from age of excess to efficiency than Mark Zuckerberg. Amazing. And remember, well, I guess it was, I don't know, a couple weeks ago at this point where he sort yeah. of compared what Zuckerberg is doing, Josh, to, you know, a Jobsian-like moment 
at, at Facebook that this is just a game changer. And whether he, Gerstner, was responsible for pushing Zuckerberg to do something, he certainly has acted in, in a very big way. Uh, listen, I'm sure Brad's letter was was considered, but it, you know, you're talking about a Greek chorus of very prominent investors, both on social media, in front of the world, but also probably behind the scenes. But really, uh, what's so bullish about this is that Zuckerberg had to really accept this and internalize it, and then make it part of his own philosophy because he has all the votes. This was never going to be a showdown a la uh, Salesforce.com, because the way that this company and many of the other tech giants and subsequent tech IPOs have been structured. So I actually think it's a flaw in the current system. And I know, you know, Carl Icahn uh, could could state this more eloquently than, than I could. You've got a lot of these companies where either the founder gets religion or doesn't. And you will see serious dispersion between the share prices because we cannot have an economy that's based on people coming out of school, getting hired right. so that you can keep them away from your competitor hiring them, and then running around making TikToks at the snack bar all day. It, it's, it's, it's not real. It only lasts when capital is zero and free. And we're way sure. far away from that moment now. Two notes real quick, since you mentioned him. Icon's going to be on with me today, closing bell at 3 o'clock. All right, so that'll be interesting oh. for certain. So Hell yeah. <laughs> don't go anywhere. Um, the other thing is, I just want your quick thought on this. This gives cover to other big tech companies to do more, does it not? It's, it's, it's exactly Some are suggesting to me, it's like, okay, Alphabet. Oh, they will. You announced 6% of your cuts. They will. Of course they are. 12,000. Yeah. Technology's in a recession. People could disagree with that, but that's the facts on the ground. Technology isn't in a recession. You have higher interest rates. You have this focus on cost efficiency. You're cutting jobs. You're understanding that the regulatory environment's going to tighten. And you know that the lending capabilities might not exist like they had the last five to seven years. So if you're a large technology company, of course you're going to go out and you're gonna break out the playbook for a tighter economic environment. And that's exactly what's being done at Facebook slash Meta. Oh, and by the way, they're not talking about the metaverse anymore so much, are they? No, which was part of the original letter from Gerstner was like, get back to focus on the core, spend less on the pipe dream and focus on, on what got you in the first place. All right, up next, the travel triple play, a big call on the autos, a major airline hitting some headwinds today and Boeing landing a very big order. We're breaking down those trades when we come back. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today.
Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. We're looking at AMC. I'm sorry, I was just looking at my screen to see uh, exactly what's going on here. You see uh, AMC shares are down some 15%. That's the common stock, obviously. If, if you show the, the preferred, uh, the AMC preferred equity, you would see it going in the opposite direction after shareholders. Dom Chu was bringing you that news. Two different stories, obviously, in terms of how the stocks are reacting. Uh, shareholders voting to increase uh, stock authorization in order to convert AMC preferred equity units into common shares. You see the reaction in the market. Joe had mentioned uh, Jim Chanos uh, sort of playing the arbitrage here, right, which, which he was short the, the common, he was long the preferred. I just want to bring you up to date that, at least according to my sources, that that trade, Chanos unwound that trade earlier this year. So he's no longer a player there, uh, just to make sure everybody's on the same page based on, uh, on what I'm hearing. All right. Let's talk some cars and planes. Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas with a note today. Phil LeBeau has made his way to the set. We're talking cars and planes. I mean, you better be here, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So Jonas today, quote, auto investors should prepare for light vehicle supply to rise and financial institution willingness to lend to fall at the same time. So give me your thoughts on that first, because Jonas is kind of the guy. Well, the, he's right on both of those. Well, I couldn't say he's right on both. He's right on the first part. The supply is rising. That, that is clear. The automakers are making more new vehicles. We will see that increase throughout the year as they've gone past the chip and the component supply issues. At the same time, what he alludes to in this note is do what, we, what we're seeing here with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and the other issues uh, surrounding the banking sector, does that make everybody a little more hesitant to loan? Write somebody an auto loan. Sure. So one can only assume that the the answer to that question is yes. That would imply that we are going to see a real dramatic increase in inventory at the dealer lot. Right now, the day supply, it's about 40 days supply, according to, to J.D. Power. So if it's a normal market, it should be closer to 60 to 7 days supply. Do I think we get back to 60, 70 days supply this summer? I don't think we get it there this summer. But maybe by the end of the year, you start to see it get there. That's what he's talking about, which then raises the question, do we start to see the return of incentives and deals in order? And you're already starting to see this with the local ads. Look around the country and you will see local ads saying, special financing. Mm. They, those, those days might be coming back. Okay, so before we get to the plane side of our conversation, Jimmy General Motors, Jimmy GM, what's your take on what Phil this says is, and the Jonas note? Because yeah, I mean, so, these stocks just have been so disappointing. Okay. They have. Yeah, well, yeah, but they've also hung in there as the market's been going down. Yeah, but they but didn't me, do anything on the, you're right, with autos, right. so let's, with let's autos get, let's like as hotter than pieces look, of bacon. Let's get to the point here, which is that for the last year and a half, what you've had is low volume sales because of supply constraints and the automobile manufacturers have made it up on price. Now you're going to get a reversal of that. You should get prices coming down. That's going to be healthy for the economy in more ways than I can count. But you're going to see volumes picking up. And it's a question of degree on, on both of these fronts. Now, to the stocks themselves, your point about the share price is well made. But throughout all of this, these companies have been minting profits. So what's going on all along the way here is shareholders' equity is going up, price to book value is going down. These stocks like General Motors trading below six-time earnings, and those earnings have been coming down because of precisely what Adam Jonas is talking about. Um, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll grant you, the share price has been disappointing, but the value of these shares has been going up. What happens in 24 
when the avalanche happens. And the avalanche is that private sector borrowing costs are going to be at a much higher level. And you're going to have this avalanche of car owners who are in three-year financing deals or three-year leases that are all going to go to the dealership and say, hey, I got 1.99 or 2.99 or whatever <laughs> the lease was back in, in 21 or 22. Now you're looking at 24 and 25. It's a much different private sector you, borrowing. You cost. know, it's interesting when you talk about leases coming off and you're talking about dealer inventories. And I do talk to some of these dealers. You know, a lot of their inventory is trucks coming off of leases, coming yes. off of those two years leases. I mean, the bottom line is sales have been unnaturally low in the auto industry. Those have to be made up simply because autos wear out after a period of time. We've got we've got the highest uh, average age of autos on the on the roads ever. I mean, they, you got to replace these. You didn't eventually. answer my question, but that's OK. That's well, okay. No, no, but, but we got to move anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. You punted. but It's OK. <laughs> Um, so what do we, before we get to Boeing, what do we take from United's warning? Didn't you have Bastion on this morning from we Delta who painted Delta. such a, mm -hmm. <laughs> a completely different picture, right, in terms of demand? Bastion, incredible. United, uh, we're and seeing some slowing fuel prices. Are starting to see issue. the seasonality. But if you also listen to what Ed Bastion was saying, he also said it's a seasonal business. Seasonality will return. So that's not to say that Ed Bastian was dour this morning. I just think that he's very optimistic about where they are right now. But he did. We pressed him and he said, look, it is a seasonal business and there will be a return to seasonality. And that's really why United is trading lower. Forget about the moving the cost of the pilot contract up. That's a one-time Oh, I wasn't even item. thinking of that. Yeah. I was just simply you know, thinking you got Bastian is, is in one cockpit saying, hey, man, you know, demand's great. We just had 10 of the best however many days over Correct. the last month, right? And then you got the United warning, and then I got Boeing with this huge order, too. Tell us about that. Uh, this, look, it's, it is $37 billion total for Boeing for two Saudi Arabian airlines, Riyadh Air, which just launched, as well as Saudi. It's for the Dreamliner. I mean, this solidifies their backlog even more. It's good to see you here in the it's house. good to be here. There's a seat for you anytime you're here, okay? All right. You let I us like know. That. All right, that's Phil LeBeau. All right, up next, our chart of the day, another stock seeing nice gains today. Josh and Joe both own it. We'll give you the headlines. We'll give you the trade coming up next. Time for our chart of the day, and it is Uber. There it is, up nearly 6% California court. They're going to be able to classify, Josh, their drivers as contractors. This has been a big deal. You love this stock. You certainly have. What now? Yeah, this Prop 22 thing or whatever, we, we talked about this six months ago. This is settled. The employees, go, please go talk to an employee of Uber, Lyft. They don't want to be W-2 employees. They don't, they don't want, that's not what they want. They want the flexibility that comes with being a contractor. All they were ever asking for was just to be treated a little bit better. And Uber has gone further in in from what I've seen and read, than any of the gig economy companies, just in terms of making things available, access to these workers. Um, so I think this is the third way that Dara has been talking about for years now. You're not an employee, but you're not just out there twisting in the wind 1099 either. You're something in between. That's what the, the majority of, of the Uber uh, people want. And so I think we're, we've settled this now. We can, we, it's enough with the court cases in every mm -hmm. state. We don't have to repeat this 50 times. 
If you don't like the, 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 the way that it works, don't work there. And if you do, work there. And that's where this will settle out. So I'm happy to see okay. this headline risk for Uber in the rearview mirror. All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday words. As you can see, Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, is here for his midday word. Stress relief? Yeah, uh, you would say. A little tension release. And, and really along the lines, I think, of how we were talking about it yesterday uh, at 4, right around the close, which was, okay, we got our VIX to 30. We had the panicky action in some of the bank stocks. You, if you don't see more kind of bodies floating to the surface, at least for a day, you start to say maybe you have some calm on that front. And then the net effect of the CPI today doesn't really disturb the overall view, so you're not left in suspense for eight days, about 50 basis points or not. Mm. At least, you know, you can argue about it. But if a net, on a net basis, uh, we've kind of bought ourselves a slightly gentler Fed path with what's gone on in the last week, it wasn't at so high a price, at least at this point. That being said, the S&P basically bobbed right back up into like last Friday and Thursday's range, right? So this is all we're really doing is taking back some of the little bit of a panicky shakeout and seeing where it goes from here. I could certainly now see, based on how people are talking, I could see 25. Yeah. And a much more dovish commentary from the chair exactly. than you might have gotten otherwise. Otherwise, it's like kind of tone deaf. Well, or even a 25 and an implied pause or something like that. Something yeah. like that, right? Which is also why the market took heart in the step down to 25 in the first place, because that really does allow you to make a small incremental move and then wait and see and assess what's going on and seeing if something else seems to break uh, along the way. So uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know that you have to necessarily start building in cuts. That means that something really is building up in terms of stress if that's where we're going to be in six months. What wouldn't go over well in the market is 25 and yeah, higher, faster and for longer. Reiterating yeah, for that sure. from last week, that would be different. I'll see Probably you in, in a yeah. couple hours. That's Mike Santoli. Finals are next. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern, closing bell, Carl Icahn. Icahn Enterprises chairman joining me. Proxy fight with Illumina front and center, and he's gearing up for a fight, I'll tell you that. We'll obviously talk to him about the SVB fallout for markets and the Fed, and I hope all of you will join me then. Kerry Firestone. You get the first final trade. What do you have for us? I'm going to give you Adobe. Software has been in a recession. The stock trades at the same price as it did in 2019. And the earnings growth are going to be at least twice that of the S&P, and it sells for the same forward multiple. Thank you very much. Josh Brown. Uh, nice bounce for DocuSign. I don't know why it went down as much as it did after they reported earnings, but it's been gaining ground since. I think the stock is fine. Yeah, nice move, 7%. Farmer Jim. Yeah, notwithstanding the backstopping of the regional banks, Citigroup is one of the big banks, and they are likely to benefit from continued inflows of deposits. Yeah, big day, um, big rebound for, for all the banks, really, in the complex, or at least most. Uh, Joey T. Beginning of the show, I gave you MasterCard. Now I'll give you Visa. The stock does not belong at 220. The stock belongs at 275. All right, thank you. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you on the closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.